Apostle Paul left a young pastor by the name of Timothy behind in Ephesus as he went on to Macedonia to continue his travels in preaching and spreading the word of Jesus Christ. The epistles of Timothy are like instruction manuals for the pastoral calling and how the church should behave. I'm going to repeat that. The epistles to Timothy are like instruction manuals for the pastoral calling and how the church should behave. So the first of Timothy chapter 1 verse 5 states, Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from a sincere faith. Now a pure heart means a state of being unsullied or not spoiled or moral, morally wrong. So you have to keep your heart pure at all times, meaning you have to have a good heart, doing what's right, not letting sin seep into your heart and spoiling the things of God that he's given for you to do. A good conscience, it means the obligation, the obligation to do right or be good in your own conduct. Now, I'm going to say a couple of other ones because... People believe righteousness is how you behave, but it's more than that. It's so much more than just how you act towards one another, your brothers, your sisters, your husband, your wives, your kids, your neighbors, people you don't know. It's your own conduct. It's also your intentions. That's why the Bible always states that God himself seeks the heart of those who are seeking him or doing anything in his name. Because he will not honor you if you're trying to bless somebody with an evil heart or ill will or evil intentions to the person that you're trying to bless. God does not work that way. You could bless the person all you want, but not God is not going to honor you for that act unless you're doing it with a pure heart and a good conscience behind it. Meaning you're doing it with good conduct, good intentions, and good character. And from sincere faith... We all know that faith is the substance of things hoped for, but the evidence of things not seen. That means we were not around 2,000 years ago when Jesus was born, grew up, started his ministry, taught his disciples and the apostles to be what the kingdom of God was really like, and then died on a cross for our sins. We weren't there to see it. So the fact that we accepted Jesus Christ into our lives means we believe. Means we have faith that he really was alive. He really did who he was. He really was who he said he was. And he really did what the Bible says he did for us all. That's blind faith. Believing in a God that promised us so much through one act. So we're going to start the main bulk of this night with false teachers. Now, if any of you have actually started to read the book of Timothy on your own, you'll notice that there's two chapters in this book that revolve and speak directly to the warnings of false teachers. I've read this book so many times, especially studying for these classes. I never caught the fact that there's two chapters dedicated to trying to teach and warn Paul, I mean, um, Timothy, about false teachers and all the warnings behind it and, and and so doing he's a pastor what's he supposed to do he's supposed to teach his flock and because we have the bible we also know what that expectation is so we have 
our ability to see those warnings here 2,000 plus years later. So we're going to go to the first of Timothy, chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, and 7 through 11. And the word states, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. And then seven states, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate. Now, what's, what does that mean? It's, it's not for the, um, the ones who are righteous. The law wasn't put here for our sake. Now, the law keeps us in check. It makes us always remember this is God's command. These are God's um, doctrines and statutes and commandments. It reminds us what he expects of us, but it wasn't made for us. The law is actually to deeply encourage those away from sin and back into the light and the truth of Jesus Christ. The law is to get people who are currently sinning, whether you're a Christian or not, because until the day we die, we're stuck in this flesh. We're stuck with fleshly desires. Even Christians will sin. doesn't mean we mean to do it. We will accidentally sin. God knows our hearts in many occasions where I might do something not knowing I sinned against a brother or sister, but that's when he brings it to our attentions and expects us to go back to our brother or sister and ask them for forgiveness for hurting them. Or the brother or sister to bring it to our attention because we don't know we hurt you. We don't know we sinned against you. But if you're not willing to step up and say, hey, brother, you know, I know you didn't mean this, but that kind of bothered me what you said. Because I don't know what you're going through or what you've been through. You might be, you might have had a loss one and a joke came out. I mean, I'm not saying I do that, but there's people out there who will blatantly joke about something that they really shouldn't. Not knowing you just went through a situation that related to that and it really hurt you. So it's up to us as real Christians with a righteous heart to go to our brothers and say, hey, I know you were probably joking, but you don't know, and, and then you explain it to him. And if he asks forgiveness, great, even better. But if he doesn't, you, you just, like, dust yourself off and keep going. God will take care of him after that, or her at that point. Now, you don't do that hoping God does that because now it's still our duty to pray for mercy upon their lives, that God shows their grace over them, and that they rethink what they did originally, and they rethink the fact that they're not willing to accept what they did wrong. Because there's people out there who won't accept that they did wrong. It then, um, 9 continues to say, For the ungodly and for the sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Now, a pastor has been pushing this church for at least a couple of months about teaching strong, sound doctrine because that's what God expects of us. We know there's a lot of pastors out there teaching prosperity. That's not sound doctrine. Sound doctrine actually confronts you. 
Sound doctrine is going to make you look at yourself with what we're saying, and it's going to hurt you. It's going to offend you. You're not going to like it, but that means we're doing something right. If the Bible doesn't offend you, then you really better look at your heart because there's something wrong in your heart. The Bible is intended to offend you, to turn you back from your sinful ways to the righteousness of God. You got to remember, if we go by each person, man determines what they think is right. Jessica's right from the other Jessica's right from Eddie's right from my right. So everything Eddie does that I don't believe in now is an offense. But that's not how God works. We have to live our lives to the statutes and commandments of Christ. And then 11 states, according to the glorious gospel, the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. So the, the law, it, everything I just stated, fornicator, sodomites, and all that kind of stuff, that's just the beginning of what is sinful against God and an abomination against God. But because a lot of this, like the unholy and the profane, this is how false teachers start to and capture your mind. They, it's not always easily seen or even felt or even known, but you'd be amazed at how a false teacher can really start to take hold of your mind by how they act or how they speak. Uh, think of it as, um, uh, God, what's the word I'm thinking of? The people who read fortunes. Now, everybody seems to think that, oh, my God, they have this amazing gift. They know everything about me. That's not how it is. It's really a demon speaking to them. Demons are set in certain regions all over the world. So when a demon is using a medium, thank you, Lord, they're not actually speaking to truly help you. They're speaking to actually, like, destroy your life but you don't know it because of how they're doing it. Because of the fact that you already believe there's a spirit speaking to you, giving you blessings and great messages, you're already going downhill in the wrong way. Because A, speaking to spirits and, and ghosts and demons it's, and mediums, that's against God. And that's in the, his word. So you don't have to believe me. Read, read the Bible. Um, when I wasn't here on... July 8th, because I, I was watching Brother Dave's message last night, trying to get a little information from one of the messages I couldn't read. He spoke about how people or false teachers are selling to someone else's hope, their hope for prosperity. So what they're trying to do is they are trying to sell you anything that will cause your emotions to be stirred because emotion stirs the flesh, not the spirit. The Holy Spirit will stir the spirit. Anything other than that is your emotions. And why do I say this? Because false teachers will use everything in their arsenal. Just like Satan. Satan is a master deceiver. He's like the ultimate expert and master of deceiving. False teachers use the same tactics to deceive you. For what purpose? The ultimate purpose of the enemy, and he uses false teachers to do so, and even Christians can be false teachers, okay? So don't get that wrong. You don't have to be a, a worldly person to be a false teacher. You can be a Christian and still be a false teacher because you're not really seeking God. You're really not 
if God tells you to do something, you're not being obedient, and you're doing whatever you feel like is going to be beneficial to you, whether it's for money or power or greed or pride, ego, whatever it might be. The ultimate goal of the enemy is to try to sell your hope because what they are really doing is trying to steal, kill, and destroy. But kill, steal, kill, and destroy what? They're trying to kill your hope. They're trying to steal your joy. And so doing, they destroy your future. They kill your hope, they steal your joy, and they destroy your future. All it takes is simple words, and the enemy has you. He starts to destroy your hope. So, for example, God gave me word that I will be blessed to have a wife. I'm waiting for her to come through that door because that's what God told me. He's going to bring her here because he answered a prayer. I asked God in a prayer, how do I meet my future wife? Do I go to the park? Do I go to movies? Do I go to the library? Do I go to bowling alley? Do I go just skating around a park? Or do I wait for her to bring it because you're going to bring her here? And I never told anybody. So one day when we are doing a fast, pastor had given a word to all the leaders but me. So I kind of felt disappointed that God didn't say anything to me about anything. So, I love my spiritual mother. I love her dearly. I love you, Mom. But I say this because we have this weird thing with each other where um, I like to be, I have always been a playful person in my entire life. My, my dad was always playful with me. I've been playful with my girls. So, she has a habit of, like, smacking me in the shoulder to get my attention. And it doesn't hurt. So, please don't take it the wrong way. She's not abusive. So, when we were pastor is about to close, and of course she's standing next to me. All of a sudden, I just feel a whack on my shoulder, and I'm like, I knew it. Something's. <laughs> I love my mother. Um, so that's when God said, "Hold on a while longer. Don't lose hope. Don't lose heart. I am bringing her here to you." And I had several other words that she's going to be ready. She's going to be totally um, prepared. And I'm going to be prepared and so forth and so forth. So the one way the enemy is going to try to steal my hope is making me believe that promise and that word is not going to ever happen. That it was in my mind, that Pastor Millie doesn't know what she's talking about, that she's just singing it because she knows I desire to have a wife in my life. That's how the enemy is going to try to kill my hope. And then in so doing, he steals my joy. Joy comes for God. Now, remember, happiness and joy are not the same. Happiness is emotion-led. Joy it comes from God. So if he can kill my hope, he will steal my joy. Because the, the, the hope of having somebody coming into my life, to have somebody help me with my two beautiful daughters. I'm not a female. I can only teach my daughters so much. I was never intended to be able to teach them everything. Just like a woman was never intended to teach their children, everything, especially a woman trying to teach a son or a father trying to teach a mother. We weren't built to do that. So one of my massive desires to not only have a partner is to have somebody that believes in Christ other than my sisters. Because my sisters can't be, I'm, I'm going to say in front of the camera, I'm grateful to every one of my sisters in this house that have helped me raise these two girls. So on behalf of my heart and my daughters in front of the public, I thank each and every one of you for what you have done to help me raise these two young ladies. But that's what I've been waiting for. A woman that loves God, puts him first, knows the word, and can help these two 
excel to greater dimensions than I could ever hope for without one. And then, yes, I still pray that the mother becomes a Christian, is saved, and starts coming to even this house. Yes, I want her to come to this house. I'm not going to feel assaulted or guilty or, like, puffed up because she's here and look at me, I'm a minister. I don't care what she feels about me. I just want her here and I want her saved. Why? Because she's a fallen child of God. She's the mother of these two children that have, she's blessed me, two amazing girls. And I'm going to speak a little bit more about that kind of topic in a little bit. But once your joy is pretty much stolen, it slowly starts to destroy your future. Because now you can't see what God has for you. You can't see the destiny that God had planned for you or created for you. You can't see the gifts or you don't believe in the gifts that God gave you to be helping people. And now your future in God is slowly going down the drain. Can you recapture that? Yes. Can you fix it? Yes. But sometimes it's too late and you have to start all over from scratch. Where if you should be here and because of everything that just happened, I've been explaining, you can be down here. Now, you have to slowly work your way back up. And it's not easy. It's, pace, it's painful. It's even more frustrating knowing I had it all. I had God. I, I felt his presence. I heard him speaking to me. He was using me to help people. I heard his voice, whatever it might be. And now I lost it because I was, I was, I don't want to say stupid, but I was stupid. I made the wrong choice. How many of us, unfortunately, make wrong decisions because we don't want to listen to the word of God or we don't want to listen to sound and wise people? Paul, in the midst of all this, tells Timothy to cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. Why? Because without faith, it's impossible, and I repeat it, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It's impossible to please him unless you know him. So how do you know him unless you're reading the Bible? How do you know him if you're skipping church or Bible sessions that are meant to go a little, di little bit deeper so you can understand who God is, how God works? Because I... I thank God that he's given us amazing apostles and amazing pastors and even people like Dave and myself and others that have stood up here to teach, uh, Brother Chris, that uh, Sister Yolanda and many others who have taught us many great words that really helped me personally understand God more. Because I had a lot of misconceptions of how God is. Even though I'm reading in the Bible, I still have misconceptions. You need people around you to help you understand what you're reading. God will speak to you. Don't get me wrong. He'll help you understand. He'll give you revelations. But the Bible states he, um, I can't think of the right word, but he enjoys himself when he uses one another to help one another. He likes to use us to help others in need. We don't think it's God using us, but it really is. So if something amazing has happened with you and you're helping people, or you see something amazing happen within somebody else's life, your mentor and guiding and giving it a word to, praise God because it's him giving you an amazing word to help these people. But how can you do that if you're not here in church? How can you do that if you're skipping Bible sessions that is meant to bring you deeper? Now, we do it little by little. Sometimes we're a little rough because it's how 
God knows you might need to hear it. When I first became a Christian, pastor was seriously, I mean, rough with me. But I'm grateful that he did that because the kind of person I was back then, if you tried to baby me, forget it. You probably would have lost me. He had to be rough with me to break through the walls of anger, the walls of frustration, the walls of pain, disappointment. If somebody has a lot of walls up because of their past, you coddling them and babying them is going to do nothing. It's just like scratching a brick wall. Ain't Nothing's going to happen. So sometimes we're gentle because the word isn't meant to pound you. It's meant to uplift you. And then other times God has to confront you. And that's the painful part. That's where you start feeling, um, so God's amazing. That's all I got to say. Just give, give God a, a, a round of applause. <laughs> See, that's all I needed. That's all I needed. Now I know what the word I was looking for. Offenses. <laughs> God is amazing. Um, so, and then because you don't read the Bible, you don't come to church, you skip Bible sessions, you don't study, and you don't pray. So if you don't do any of this, and this is a small handful of stuff I can mention tonight, you, you'll never know God, and because you don't know him, it's because you don't seek him. You have to seek God. And the Bible says he does, He loves people who seek him in spirit and truth. Meaning you have a pure and honest heart that you really want to be part of him. You want to be close to him. You really want to learn the deeper parts of him and his word and how life can be and how you can help others. But because you don't do any of these, that's when people start to fall away. And our brother Dave Vlat, um Two weeks ago, I think it was, started to speak about the great apostasy, which is in First Timothy chapter four, verses one through two. First Timothy chapter four, verses one through two, and it states: Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with an iron. With a hot iron. Now, we all know Lord Jesus warned the, the, his disciples specifically because they asked them, what are the warnings or what are the signs of when you're coming back? So one of the signs is false teachers, but it states it as many also fall away from Christ. Why do many fall away from Christ? Because they believe false teachers. Because they don't read the Bible, so they don't know who God really is. They don't know what God can really do. They don't come to church, so they don't fellowship with one another. They try to fight on their own. If you fight anything on your own in life, you're going to fail, especially Satan. I'm going to tell you right now, you're not going to win. I was ignorant to believe when I became a Christian for the first couple of years that I was good. I, I got where I needed to be. God had healed me. He, he reset or restored my mind in so many different areas of my life that I started to believe I was good, and then I started getting tested. And boy, was I wrong, and boy, did I fall, because I made some stupid choices believing that Satan could have hurt me. But unfortunately, some of us, especially young Christians, or people who don't, I mean, there's been Christians that have been in a walk for, what, 10, 15, 20 years, and they'll, they'll make the same mistake I did after four, three to five years. 
it's not that I wanted to do it, but I was kind of prideful. I was egotistic. I still hadn't gotten healed in that section of my life. But when I fell, I felt the pain go down deep to my soul. Because when I realized what I allowed to happen, it almost broke me because I realized how much I sinned against God. I disappointed God. I willingly did something knowing that it was going to be a sin. But I wasn't mentally there just yet. But after that moment is when mentally I completely shifted in a whole new track because it woke me up. Now, I pray that many of us in this room or many watching who are new or been in and walk for years, if you're doing something you should be do, I hope you walk, wake up now before it's too late. Because some sins are very costly, meaning once you make a, a choice that can irrevocably ruin your life, the consequences could be dire. Some might be okay, but other consequences will haunt you for the rest of your life. And because of the way the world is today, speaking, deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, that's all over the place. We see that everywhere we go. I mean, the, just the, the rainbow community is like out of control. They're using one of God's symbols as their symbol. Symbol of the rainbow was never meant to be like gay, lesbians, and I don't know all of them, so I'm just going to stop there. The rainbow was meant to be a sign of a covenant between God and man that he would never destroy them again by water because of their sins. But now sinful people are using that symbol to promote who they are. That's demonic. And there's many others out there that are just as bad, but that's just the one that came to my mind in this moment. Um, so number two is instructions on worship. Instructions on worship, Paul speaks to Timothy about how he is to pray for all people. Not just as a pastor, but us as normal people, Christians, everyday brothers and sisters, youth and children. We should all be taught and we should all pray for everyone. We should intercede for everyone. Prayers could be anything to, for anyone, yourself or others. But when somebody's in hurt, in trouble, in times of need, that's when we intercede. And we're directed to not only intercede from one another. Paul states that we're directed to pray and intercede for kings, for all sets of authority. We're supposed to pray for our parents, for our children, for our neighbors, people we don't know, people walking down the street. Pastor taught me something years ago when he drives down the street, he sees kids, he, tell, he started telling me what he was praying for. I unconsciously started doing that. So when I see kids in the street, I pray that God protects them, that, that um, keeps them safe, that no, no one tries to kidnap them, no one tries to do anything perverted, that they will get hit by cars. Because a lot of times I see young girls and young, young gentlemen jogging, especially around the colleges. So I always ask God to protect them, especially with all the cars in those neighborhoods. But then I also pray that, like Pastor taught me, God, let that be the next pastor. Let that be the next apostle. Let that be the next worshiper. Let that be the next dancer and so forth and so forth. And because I started doing stuff like this, when I started praying for other people is when I started seeing changes in my own life. Because I wasn't praying for myself. I would pray for myself for a little bit, 
But then I started interceding and praying for many other people. And that's when I started seeing changes in my life because I wasn't worried about my life. God knows what I need. The Bible states God knows what you need before you ever say it. But he wants you to pray and intercede for others. He knows what I need. He will take care of me as long as I take care of his children. Remember, you repeat that. God knows what I need. He will take care of me when I take care of his people. That's all he ever wants. Not only that, in worshiping and interceding, one of the greatest things we should be praying for for everyone, including the one that digs you deep, like is the most painful thorn in your side. Jesus desires all, now repeat after me, all to be saved and to understand the truth. He wants everyone, even the person you can't stand at work, even the person that hit your car, even a person that stomped on your toes or stole your wallet, even a person that threw an egg at your house, God wants everyone to be saved. So let's go to the first of Timothy chapter 2, verse 6. Now this is a reminder of what I just said about Jesus desires all to be saved and to understand the truth. The truth is, Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be tested in due time. Sorry, testified in due time. So this word states that Jesus gave himself for everyone. Not just adults, not just me because I'm all nice and handsome and I got brand new shoes. I'm looking mighty fine today. <laughs> hey, pastor's not the only one who can look good up here, okay? If I'm his son and he's teaching me, I got to start to look good, just as good as he does. But pastor told me to start slow, so I'm starting slow. And even apostle told me when I was talking to him earlier up on the altar before we got here, I said something. He's like, look, baby steps, baby steps. <laughs> so as long as I'm showing that I am listening to my spiritual father, that I'm listening to the word of God, and I'm doing what I'm supposed to. God will help me change for the better. Not just in, not in my heart, not just in my soul, but how I look, how I carry myself, how I dress, and so much more. Um, so, worship is also a lifestyle. It's not just prayer. It's not just interceding. It's not just getting up every day and singing songs to the Lord. It's how you are when people can see you, and it's how you are when people can't see you. It's how you are when you're here in the church, but are you acting the same way when you're in the parking lot, when you're at the store? Are you acting the same way when you're at a house alone with your wife or your kids, or are you beating them? Are you scolding them? Are you doing stuff you shouldn't be doing? Worship is not just prayer, interceding, and singing. It's how you are. It's your character, integrity, your personality, uh, everywhere you go, every minute, every second of every day. So you have to guard that. You have to guard who you are at all times because the enemy is trying so hard to destroy you. He doesn't care about you. He hates your guts. Satan hates your living guts. Why? Because you reminded him of the one who condemned him. He knows who we are. That's how Satan knows to mess with us from birth. 
he's been around for almost as long. I don't know when God created Satan and all the other angels, but he's been around quite a long time. He's been through all of this thick and thin for millennia. He knows how to mess with us. He probably has overheard or been maybe a part of some of Jesus' decisions. We don't know. We weren't there in the beginning, so we don't know how close Satan was to them when he was supposed to be worshiping them and leading the, the angels into worship. So you got to believe he's probably overheard a lot. So the one thing I kind of learned in the last couple of years is I think that's how Satan really knows how to mess with each of us individually the way he does. He knows just how to mess with Jessica to get her down to the point where she could give up on God. But it's her faith and the fact that she's rooted in Christ that doesn't allow Satan to pull her out. <clears throat> so we're going to go to Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And it states, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, means thinking like Jesus does. Anything you do, you want to think, would Jesus do this? Would he want me to do this? Would he want me to act like this? Would he want me to go this way? Would Jesus do that himself? You got to be, it, it's saying that, and think about it. It says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. You give God joy when you think you act like him. Having the same love, the same love he has for us. And that, that love is unconditional love. He, he loves us unconditionally to the point where he sent his own son. And Jesus willingly died on that cross for us. We have to be willingly to sacrifice our own selves, our time, our, our resources, Whatever it takes to help a fellow brother and sister in need to get where Jesus brought you. You weren't always saved. You weren't always all together. Trust me, I wasn't always together either. But if God got me here, I, when I was eight years old, I never saw myself being up here as a minister, okay? I never saw myself being in a church after everything I went through. But God had more better plans for me. He ripped me away from Satan. Believe you me. He ripped me away from Satan. Because he loved me. And because he loved me, I'm here today. Because he loved me, my daughters still have a father. I have met so many amazing brothers and sisters that I'm sure God has allowed me to enrich your life just like you have enriched mine. So have the same love as God does for us, for one another. Be in one accord, one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. That means you're supposed to put everybody else before your needs. Now, yes, there's times where something might happen or situation in life. You've got to put yourself first. I, I know what that feels like because when I was growing up, and I've told the girls this, I probably spent a better part of 30 years of my life moving people half of my family, friends, I became a master at moving people. But when I'm referred to by this, when it says, but lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself, 
there was times where I hurt my leg, I hurt my back, somehow I was hurt or sick, but I would still force myself to get up and go move massively heavy furniture from one place to another, up three flights of stairs, down three flights of stairs, not caring how my body was going to behave or act, or if I even injured myself more. In a time like that, you should be like, you know what, I love you, but I hurt my back. I hurt my arm, I hurt my shoulder. As much as I really want to help you, I can't. I got to protect myself. Now that I'm 40 years old, almost 41, I have two daughters in a ministry that I'm a part of. I got to be smarter. I can't just like, okay, I hurt my back. You know, I'll go do something that I'm probably going to paralyze myself for at this point. I'm 40 years old. My body doesn't heal like it used to. <laughs> so I... <laughs> Well, I might be a baby. Hey, I am a baby. My mama still calls me her baby all the time. <laughs> the girls get mad at me for always calling them my baby girls. And I'm like, look, I'm 40 years old, and my mother still introduces me to people as her baby boy. Come on. We're, if, you, if you want to think about it that way, we're still babies in the, to the, our Lord, our Father. He's our Father. We're still babies to him. We're his children. <clears throat> Let each of you look not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Now, I'm not going to speak too much about this because I just spoke about it la uh, last week with the treatment of God's children because I know I'm running out of time. Uh, just remember, when it comes to treatment of God's people and children, this book explains a lot about how we're supposed to treat ministers, leaders, elders, uh, slaves, women, you name it, there's widow, um, widows, there's a little of everything in this book. So I'm not going to go over it again. But I'm going to briefly remind everybody, the couple of things I spoke about last week is to humble yourselves at all times. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Show him that you're humble in your heart and that you truly fear him, meaning you truly value and honor him and what he desires for you because he knows better. Than we do. He knows if that car out in the park lot that I've been crying for, praying for, some cases people will say they die, they're dying for, could put me out in the streets instead of blessing my life. So he knows better than we do. Forgiveness is critical to every Christian life. Forgiveness is a deep-rooted poison that can affect us straight to our roots. Now, the only thing down in our roots is supposed to be Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be rooted in Jesus Christ. But with unforgiveness, it becomes a, a heavy poison in our lives and our spirits that can seriously affect us. And we all know that Jesus, I mean, um, Peter asked Jesus, if my brother offends me, should I forgive him seven times a day? And Jesus says, not only seven, but seven times 70, meaning our forgiveness should be unlimited as the Lord's is for us. I mean, he can forgive us every day of our lives for how many years we've been alive. Why can't we forgive our brothers and our sisters who have harmed us? We have to forgive. And I gave a powerful testimony last week that explains how, and this is just one little example of how you know when you're healed because you can feel the difference in your life. The fact that I felt that weight off my shoulders when I started crying 
believing that their mother is going to actually pass away before she turned 39 almost broke my heart. And that shocked me in one way, but it also shocked me in another because, wow, I never expected I'd try for her like that. But I did, and I'm actually grateful to God that she's still here, and she was she 40 now? So thankfully, that dream didn't exist. Or, or it's a possibility because God revealed that dream to me for something that was in me to pray for her harder and in a different way, and he heard the prayers. I don't know. So I have to thank God one way or another. If he heard my prayers or didn't, if it was just, a fake dream or it was a warning, I thank God that she's still here because it showed that I'm truly healed. So three quick things I want to talk about before we close. Number one, get back into the word. Why? Go to the book of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. I'm going to wait for everybody to get to this one. Thank you, brother. Um, Book of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Now, this is one of the four Gospels. And this this book starts this way. So, this is powerful. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Isn't that powerful? God is telling us to get back into the word. But I just told you what the word is. The word is God. He wants us back with him and in him. Because he desires to have such an intimate, loving relationship with his children that he's doing everything, anything he can to get us and everybody watching to turn our sights to him, to turn our hearts back to him. And Apostle and I were talking about this a couple days ago. And this is powerful. When you keep your eyes on God, you'd be amazed at how far he can bring you. And as a perfect example, what happened to Peter when he saw Jesus walking on the water and told him, if that is you, Lord, Tell me to come to you. And Jesus said, come. I'm getting goosebumps. Peter went farther than any other person in existence. He got out of that boat. And he walked towards Jesus. And he went farther than any other human being has. I'm not saying Jesus because Jesus is God. But Peter went farther than any other person walking out of water. But and he walked farther than anyone has until he took his eyes off the Lord. And then he saw the waves. The waves represent life, the problems, and everything else that surrounds us. The minute you take your eyes off the Lord is when we're going to get caved in by the overpowering waves that are going to clash onto us if we don't remember to keep our eyes on the Lord. I thought that was a powerful when he showed that to me today. Get back in the Word, but the Word is God. And that's how the book of John starts. I thought that was crazy. And the light shines in the darkness. When God is in us, we are engulfed in his light. And Satan can't take that. Satan can't comprehend that light. 
So when he is in us, we become atmosphere changers. We force evil spirits, demonic forces, principalities. They, they don't just flee. They go off and run it. They want nothing to do with you. And it even states that at some point they come back looking to see how you are, and they go get buddies to come after you too. So keep your eyes on the Lord. It's critical. And one thing I thought I liked that Brother Dave said, the Bible has been around for thousands of years, so why are we still failing? Because we're not willing to give, give in to God. We're not willing to surrender. He's asking us to get into his word, meaning get into his heart. The Bible is nothing more than instructions on how to do so. But we're not willing to receive the truth. Satan does it like the light, and he knows it. So he's doing everything he can to cloud your thoughts so that the light in you will burn out or fizzle. But God wants that to be like a lighthouse that people see miles away and want to know what that is. And they go looking to see what that is. The word also teaches you how you should be, what you shouldn't be doing, the requirements of ministry and leadership, and so much more. If you only get into his word, you will become more like Christ. And you will be amazed at how much your life can truly change, not just yours, but those that are around you. People want to flock to you. When I first became a lead in my job, and I, I was a Christian, but when I first, be, no, right before I became a lead, half of the coworkers I worked with always came to me and loved to vent to me. And I'm like, why you can't come to me? I can't do nothing. Go tell the supervisor. Go tell the manager. Go tell anybody. But why you can't come to me? I didn't understand back then. But half of the team always came up to me and vented. And even when I became a lead, same thing. They always came up to vent. And I'm like, look, I'm a lead. I don't have the power and authority to do anything. Go talk to the supervisor. Go talk to the manager. But they never would. At some point, I finally understood what God was trying to show me. That he's using me to affect them somehow, some way in their lives. That the fact that they trusted me to impart everything that they're dealing with was a blessing. But I didn't understand that back then. I mean, I wish I could have helped them. But... At that point, there was no authority to do so. But because I kept with God and I kept learning, I got promoted. More people want, want to talk to me. More people come after pastor that I've ever seen since I've been with him. The closer you get to God, the closer people want to get to you because they're wondering what's different about you and how can they get a piece of that. It's not a piece of you. It's a piece of what God is, that is in you. Number two is seek God. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2 states, It is God's privilege to conceal things and a king's privilege to discover them. We are kings and queens of his kingdom. Why can I say that? How can I boldly say that? It's because the Bible states we're co-heirs of the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ is our, like, elder brother. If God is our father and he's the king, I can say we're kings and queens. So it should be a privilege. It should be an honor. It should be a blessing to want to go dig 
deep looking for those mysteries, those treasures that are hidden in the words of the Bible. Every time I read the Bible, I'm more shocked at the stuff I learn. Look at earlier. God tells me to get back in a word, and I never caught, I mean, I've read that scripture numerous times, but I never caught that he's telling me to get back into him just by that little scripture. It's amazing. The deeper you go into God, the more you learn. Your, your discernment grows. Your faith grows. You become stronger in the word. Your joy is booming. You, you know, when I was up here, I felt God's presence. I was getting goosebumps just feeling what he wanted me to say and telling what he wants me to tell. Your love grows for yourself, which is important. Yeah, I didn't say that earlier, but you have to love yourself too because people will see that you can really care less about yourself. So if you're trying to help somebody and you're portraying that, even though you don't know you are, people don't want to be around you. And I can say that because I used to be like that too. Trust me, I was a walk-in mess, and pastors alluded to that in numerous testimonies. But we have to love ourselves, and we have to learn to love one another. And there's so much more that can happen when we continue to seek God. And the last one, and one of the most important ones, is we have to unite. Abraham Lincoln once stated, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Matthew chapter 12 Verse 25 through 28 reaffirms this. It states, but Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by... Beelzebub, by whom does your sons cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. But I cast out demons by the Spirit of God. Surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. So I want to ask a question before I end this. Because when God asked it to me today, I thought it was powerful. The girls told me that they swear to her pastor say it before. If he did, great. If he didn't, okay. But it was powerful for to me tonight. Why is that the kingdom of hell is more organized and more united than the kingdom of God? Why are we always fighting once another? Why are we always after each other's jobs and ministries? Why are we after each other's gifts and what God blesses us with? What he's blessed Janet with wasn't meant for me. What he's blessed me with wasn't meant for Janet or Eddie. What God has in store for my daughter, Sianna, or my daughter, Mia, is not meant for me. So why am I fighting my brothers and my sisters? We should be more united in the kingdom of hell. But the reason why the world is the way it is is because the king, the kingdom of God, which is represented on here on this earth as the body of Christ, which means us, gave up that right. We willingly gave up that power and authority. Pastor alluded in the past where in the old days, the government had to seek out the pastors and the ministers of the country for approval to do many things. Nowadays, nobody could care less what the church says. Why? That's our faults. That's our faults. <clears throat> Pastor Millie said it best. The devil will try to isolate you to destroy you. He do- Satan does not want churches to fellowship. He does not want you guys to be here. That's why I said earlier, I thank you for being here. God not only wants you here, he needs you here because 
if you try, like I said earlier, if you try fighting the enemy on your own, you're going to lose. And you're going to lose big, you're going to lose painfully, you're going to lose bad. But because we unite as one, when we interlock our arms like a chain and we pray for one another, we intercede for one another, we tell Satan over my dead body, that's when he's going to start walking away or fleeing because he knows we're serious, God is in us, and at one point or another, God will tell Satan, stay away from him. He's mine or she's mine. So as you think about this tonight, especially for those watching, I ask you, what is holding you back from truly serving the kingdom of God? Is it fear? Is it selfishness? Is it pride? Is, is it your family? What is truly holding the church body back from answering what God has called you to do? It's our job, it's our responsibility to get back up, to stand in the threshold and start pushing Satan back to where he belongs. And that's out of the churches, that's out of our homes, that's out of our city, that's out of our state, our country, and so forth and so forth. Now we know that's not going to fully happen because we all know the rapture is going to happen. God's going to come back and take many of us. People are going to be left behind. And Satan is going to control this world completely for a time. But it's still our duty to pray for as many of our brothers and sisters to come with us in a rapture as humanly possible. We know God can do anything, but we have to do our part. And are you willing to do that part? I hope you enjoyed tonight. I thank you for joining us here. If you ever get a chance, come check us here at 1060 Worcester Street in the Indian Orchard section of Springfield. We're here every Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. We're here every Sunday at noon. I invite you and I encourage you to come check us out. If you can't come for whatever reason, I implore you to keep checking us out on every social media, which is at TRC413. You can check us out at www.resurrectioncenter.org. You can also check us out at K Radio and Re Resurrection Center Radio. We thank you so much for joining in. I pray that this message really digs deep down to your heart and you really think about God's message to you tonight. Get back into his word, get back into him, and unite with the church around you. May God bless you, and I thank you. Again, I want to thank everybody for really coming tonight. Like I said earlier, I know you guys could be anywhere. It's rough wanting to come out and weather like it is. But I'm always excited to come see my brothers and my sisters. Anytime I'm allowed to come into the church. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Many of you are more like a family to me than my real family. Most of my family is has or is moving down south, has passed away. So I don't have family left. I spend more time with you guys. I probably know you guys better than my own family at this point. And when I say I love you guys, I'm grateful for you guys, I really mean it. So I want to say thank you on behalf of the pastors for coming to be a part of the church, even when they're not here, and to continue to fight 